welcome to everyone this morning. Welcome to those who are watching online. Uh, we're going through 1 Timothy, and uh, the major part of what Timothy's trying to, or Paul's trying to tell Timothy, is to tackle the heresies that were going on and some of the practical outcomes of those heresies and how they are affecting the church. And so today we're up to chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, um, and we're going to have a look at that. But before we get into it, I just want uh, you to think for a minute, has there ever been a time... Um, when there's been a person, if you just flick that up, um, if there's been a person who you don't want to pray for, if there's been somebody, you know, that nasty boss um, or someone who's making your life miserable and you just don't want to pray for them at all, there's something visceral about it, like, oh, I don't. Or if you do think you're going to pray for them, it's a smitey smite prayer, like, Lord, strike them down, get them out of my life. Or you kind of start negotiating with God saying, this is one of those Nehemiah 13 occasions, you know, where a few beards need pulling and a few heads punched. Um, and <laughs> if you can get into that space, if, the, if you've experienced that, like emotionally experienced that, then you can get a little bit of what's going on uh, for Paul and Timothy as they try to correct some of the false teachings that are going on. Um, our passage today is pretty straightforward, uh, so let's have a look at it. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, uh, 1 to 7. So if you've got a Bible there, you might want to follow along or uh, read the words on the screen as they come up. Uh, and it says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is has now been witnessed at the proper time. And for those, this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. All right. So really, our passage today is really pretty straightforward and pretty simple. Um, there's some complexities in this going on around Paul trying to re-educate or to actually instruct uh, people around Jesus and some of the false teachings going on. But most of us living today, post the Nicene Creed and post guys like um, Augustine, have kind of got that down. We kind of know what that's all about. Um, and so in that way, it's pretty straightforward for us. But let's see if we can understand a little bit of what's going on for Paul and the audience. And there are some challenges in this for us as well. So the first thing is the straightforward, it's an instruction. Um, first of all, uh, make petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Remember that, thanksgiving, um, for, be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. And so the first thing we get here is this idea that somehow there was this false teaching going on, and in Paul's world, there was a, a real sense of, um, I mean, we would probably call it racism today, but in Paul's world, it wasn't really racism uh, like we think about it. It's more tribalism, that the, that's the out 
groups. So you had in-groups and out-groups, uh, the foreigners and those who were trusted, those who were like me and were my people. Uh, and so there was this sense of through the world that they lived in, it was a very dangerous world. And so out of that grows this threat of the foreigner, the outsider. Uh, and so those people were people who you didn't pray for. They were the people who were your enemies and you stayed away from and you had nothing to do with. But in the church, when they were becoming saved and coming into it, now they're interacting with each other and suddenly there's this thing of people saying, well, don't pray for them. And this, remember too, I should have said this at the start, this is about public worship together and it obviously flows on to our personal lives and personal prayer, but this is in the public realm. Uh, praying in public, praying in the public meetings for all people. And so we've got here this sense where some people would say, no, you don't pray for them. God's not interested in them. They're not worth praying for. And there was a sense of rejection of that t- those types of people. So that's one thing that's going on here. And then you, obviously you've got the thing we got from chapter 1 about the teaching of the law and the the Judaizers who were saying, no, don't pray for the Gentiles. God's not interested in the Gentiles. He's only interested in the Jews. Uh, And so you've got that going on as well at the same time. Now, that's one thing that's happening. And then the second thing that's happening at the same time, um, which is a real challenge for us today, is one of the reasons why they didn't pray or they weren't praying, part of this uh, thing was because they actually believed in the power of prayer in their everyday life. They were convinced that if they started to pray for things and pray for people, that God would do it. If they started to pray for people to come into the church and to get saved, that God would do it. And they didn't want that to happen because those were the outsiders. And so this sense of, for us today, the sense of we need to be challenged by that as well, that when we pray for these things, God acts. God will do these things. And we've got to have that heart to see people, all people, Uh, come to faith. And so that's the challenge that's in this first part, to pray for all people, not just the people like me. And then he adds a little thing about um, for kings and all those in authorities. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But the first part of that is for all people. Now, if you grew up in Australia, um, if you've lived most of your life here, then the whole idea of praying for all people is not new and not unfamiliar and not even difficult. For most of us, that's like, oh, why wouldn't you? That just makes perfect sense to me. Um, That's because you've grown up in an egalitarian kind of culture, right? There are lots of places in the world today where that is not the case. There are lots of places where the Christian church is challenged by this to pray for all people. Now, I was chatting to someone just recently um, who grew up in Indonesia. They're Indonesian, Chinese Indonesian. um, And they were talking about the whole thing of the racism in Indonesia today, like 2022. Um, where if you aren't an actual, you know, uh, indigenous Indonesian, as in your kind of genetics go all the way back to the indigenous beginnings uh, of that tribal group, then you are actually seen as not Indonesian, not a true Indonesian, and you're shunned because of that. And so this person was telling me as they grew up, they got all sorts of kind of racist comments made towards them, um, and uh, as a Chinese Indonesian, uh, and all sorts of hatred. And they said it actually started a cycle that, that this person was saying they had to break the cycle when they became a Christian. There was this cycle of the Chinese Indonesians were against the, you know, the indigenous Indonesians and the indigenous Indonesians were against the uh, Chinese Indonesians. Uh, and there was this kind of whole thing rolling on. And so when they became a Christian, it was a real challenge 
to pray for the indigenous uh, Indonesians who had been you know, racist towards them their whole life. And so you can see how this works. Now, it's easily lost. As soon as we start to feel threatened by an outside group, we are tempted to move into this uh, same thing where we don't want to pray for those outside. We don't want them to come and join us. We don't want God to save them because then they'll be sitting next to me in church and I don't even like them. So it's easily lost. But fortunately for us today, this is something that's pretty straightforward and I want to encourage us just to keep doing it, to keep on praying for all people, even the difficult people, even the people that you don't like because of their behaviour, to pray for them. Because God is asking us to do that. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom. Now, the second part of this is for kings and all of those in authority. Now, there's a specific reason for this. Now, and partly also you've got to understand that uh, in Paul's world, they thought that one of the the, um, Caesars were, were gods. And so there's this thing of Paul saying, pray for kings because they are under the king of kings. So you need to pray for them. They do not have the authority of God. They are actually under someone else's authority. So pray for them in that sense. So that's what else is going on here. But he says it for a specific reason. And I think this is more challenging for us today, the specific reason that Paul is giving uh, for praying for these people. Now, let's have a look at this next piece because I actually think this is brilliant. This next piece is pray for kings and those in authorities. Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, isn't that fascinating? Paul's actually saying, pray for kings so that you can live a peaceful and quiet life. That doesn't sound so boring, doesn't it? Like, why would you pray for that, Paul? Why don't you pray for victory as we fight off the enemies? You see, in our world today, right, we grew, we've, most of us have grown up in this, uh, the Western cultural perspective of meritocracy and individualism. So we, we only celebrate the winners. We only celebrate those, if you throw that slide up, we only celebrate those who have actually won something or got something or are better than others, something extraordinary. And so when we hear this from Paul about a quiet, peaceful life, it almost... Hmm, that's a bit that's a bit ordinary. Why, why would we bother with that? But we're missing something completely amazing. That the ordinary life, uh, in the context of the people of God living a, a quiet, peaceable life, or and the key phrase, in godliness and holiness, not in luxury and comfort, in godliness and holiness. There's something extraordinary that takes place when the people of God are living like the people of God. When they're full of compassion and kindness. When they're full of praise and worship for God. When they get about actually serving the community, something powerful starts to take place. Now, let me tell you a story. Um, We had a lady join us at Rosebud um, at the beginning of the year. Now, she had some pretty difficult circumstances. Her husband passed away um, quite um, unexpectedly. Uh, he he'd, uh, got uh, sick, had this pain. Three weeks later, he was dead of cancer. And she, it was totally through her, totally uh, kind of disrupted her whole world. Now, she hadn't been, her and her husband had had experience in church uh, more than a decade ago. Uh, and they hadn't been going to church. It was kind of one of those things. Life's too busy, too many other important things to be doing than going to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so uh, 
they had got out of the habit of going to church. Well, when he passed away and her whole world was thrown upside down, um, over the next 12 months, uh, the, the grief and the depression kind of kept getting worse and worse and worse until she had this little small voice that said, go back to church. The voice of the Spirit, go back to church. And so she started coming to church. Now, we're not doing anything extraordinary at Rosebud. I mean, the preacher's great. But we're not doing anything extraordinary at Rosebud. You know, nobody's been raised from the dead. We haven't got the best of the best musicians and singers and the best equipment and, you know, this amazing kind of powerful lights and scrobes and all the, all the fancy bells and whistles. We're just doing the ordinary stuff. We're just coming and we're worshipping God. And we're kind of, sort of that sense of joy and praise and, and we're trying to love the people around us. About a month back, I was chatting again to this lady. And she said, you know, I love coming on Sundays. She said, every week I feel like God is healing me more and more. Now, what was healing her? It was actually just being in the presence of God's people. It was actually feeling like I connect, I belong, God loves me. And the sense where the ordinary, just coming together and worshipping, just being the people of God was actually transforming her life. Isn't that amazing? So the ordinary things are not to be trifled. They're not to be dismissed. They're not to be ho-hummed. They are actually critical things. When we do the ordinary things of being the people of God, being kind and compassionate and worshipping and praising God, those ordinary things make manifest the kingdom of God. And that is powerful. And that's amazing. And so what Paul's doing here is saying, let's just live the peaceable, quiet lives in godliness and God will use us to do amazing things. In fact, he says the next part. Um, so that's the second part I want to say today. We need to celebrate the ordinary life of just being kind and good and getting on with people and actually bringing the good news to people. That is a great thing and worth celebrating. And then the next thing he says is this. So actually, if we go back. So... This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants all people to come to a saving knowledge. Uh, sorry, he wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so we go back again, this whole thing of if we can be the people of God, actually just getting on with being the people of God rather than fighting the government, rather than being under persecution, because that's the point of what Paul's trying to make here, praying for the kings and those in authority. If we can just be the people of God and get on with it, people's lives will be transformed and people will be saved. People will hear the good news because we're able to get about telling them. We're able to get around sharing that good news. And that's what brings this transformation. So that's why we should be praying so that we can actually continue to do this. And then again, I'll tell you another story about this. Our Wednesday night community, uh, the hub uh, at Rosebud, People are coming to faith because they get a chance to come and join in with the ordinary things of community, meals, and worshipping God. And now they're coming to faith because we can actually do that at peace. We're not having to hide somewhere. We're not having to kind of um, be underground. We can meet these people who are in our community and just invite them in. And they are coming to faith. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that fantastic? So we should be actually celebrating these things, that God wants those people to come to faith. 
the, the point of all people here is referencing back to the all people uh, in the first verse as well. That everybody is welcome in the kingdom of God. One of the false teachings in the day in Paul's world again was that God wasn't interested in certain groups and they weren't to be evangelized and brought in to the church. Now, the second part of this is where it says to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, this is the part that I think is most challenging for us in our world today, as, as it was for Paul in his world and for Timothy trying to actually teach this. And this is this next part. So he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. And what's this truth? For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now, the challenge for Paul in Paul's world was they had both pluralism, uh, sorry, polytheism in the Romans uh, religions where you could have all sorts of gods. And so there were people coming into the church who still held on to that thing where, yes, now I'm worshipping Yahweh, but there's also these other gods as well. And so if you follow those gods, then, yeah, you can be saved as well, but I'm going to follow this God because he'll protect me uh, in my kind of world today. And so Paul is trying to get across... No, no, when you come to the king, there is only one God, one God. And these kind of false teachings that were emerging around that. And then also the thing of, um, not only that, the, the thing of going back to um, Jesus being the mediator out of the Judaism where they were using the law as the mediator, but Jesus is the only mediator. So he's kind of uh, tackling these false teachings that were around in his world now, what's the problem for us today? What is it that this is a challenge for us today? Well, today in our world, we have the whole thing of comparative religions, the whole thing of positive pluralism. You know, that yes, there are lots of people who believe lots of things in our multicultural Australia. Now, you believe what you want to believe, and you do what you want to do, as long as it doesn't impact someone else. There are many ways to God, is the current cultural idiom. That's the thing that's being pushed on us. Now, as soon as you try to claim an exclusive uh, claim that Jesus is the only way, that's when you're going to run into conflict. That's when you're going to run into opposition. If you just go along with the flow and go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, this, this is for me. It's, you don't have to believe what I believe. You, know? you don't have to believe in, but I'm believing in Jesus. You know? That's the temptation for us is to get swept along with this broader pressure to accept this positive pluralism that many roads lead to God. What does the scriptures tell us? Back to this, there is only one God and one mediator. Now, that's a challenge for us today, to step into that difficult, conflictual space of being the person who actually has an exclusive claim. That's countercultural in our world today. Now, we need to be actually reinforcing this and reinforcing this, because sadly, in the last little while, I've heard a few people um, who, who I would have thought were convinced of the orthodox faith who actually expressed those ideas and said, oh, yeah, there's other ways. What? Other ways? You mean to tell me the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is just a kind of trifle? It's, it's something that can be dismissed? It's something that you don't need? The Bible doesn't teach that. It's nowhere in the Scriptures. The only way to God is through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus himself said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one 
comes to the Father except through me. And then the apostles reiterate that in Acts when they say, there is no other name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved. That's the message of Christianity, that you can't go back to the law. If you could go back to the law, why would Jesus die? He just point people back to the law. If there was another way, why didn't Jesus say, go follow Zeus? Go fo- follow uh, Iris? Go follow one of the other Roman gods? Why did he die if there were heaps of ways to get there? Because there isn't. There is only one way. And that's a real challenge to us in our world today. Not to get swept along and pushed so that we're acceptable, that we're liked by others. Because as soon as we make an exclusive claim in our world today, you can be sure you will come up against opposition. You will come up with conflict. So I want to encourage us, let's not go away from the teachings of the Bible just to be accepted. Paul didn't, Timothy didn't, and the church is here because of it. Because people stood on this claim that Jesus is the only way and they were prepared to give their lives for it. That's what we need to be. We need to be those people. All right. So let me kind of pull this together uh, and finish it off. There's one really important thing going on here, and that's Paul saying, let's pray for all people, in particular those who are kings and those who are in authority. And so that's the injunction. That's the thing we need to do out of this passage that, Timothy, that Paul's trying to get Timothy to focus on. There's a couple of other things that are in this for us as well. One is that we need to celebrate the ordinary life uh, lived in godliness, not comfort and ease. <laughs> the ordinary life, the peaceful and quiet life lived in godliness. We should be celebrating that, celebrating the ordinary things because God's at work in them. And then the other thing we need to be doing is we need to resist the temptation to agree with the current kind of emphasis on all religions are the same. They're not. So there's some challenges in all that. And what I want to do to finish off with is I actually want to go back to what Paul's main point is, and that is to pray for all and for those, the kings and those in authority. So I want to ask you to join with me as we do that. I don't want you to be a spectator in this short, I'm just going to have a little time of prayer. I don't want you to be a spectator. I want you to be a participant. Because that's what the public worship in Paul's day was everybody engaged in it. Everybody engaged in the prayer. It wasn't just you know, the professional prayer up the front. It was all people praying together to God because they believed God could do it. That was, it. that was the way they saw the world. That if you prayed, the likelihood, if you're in God's will, it would happen. And that's what we need to be in that space as well. That when we pray, God is powerful. He can do these things. We need to be confident of that and live in that space. So please participate with me as we pray for kings and those in authority. Let me kind of pray and join him with me. Father God, we thank you for this injunction, this kind of call to action to pray for all people, not just the ones we like or the people who are easy to get along with, but all people. Father, because you love all people. And so we ask that in our day-to-day life, you'll open our eyes to see all the people around us and that we might start praying for them. And that when we gather together, we pray for all those people in our community. Even the ones who hate the church. 
even the ones who are anti-Christ. Father, help us to have the hearts of Paul and Timothy in praying for all people, the heart of Christ who died for all people. And Father, we pray also in that same vein. We pray for those kings and those in authorities or the presidents, the, the rulers of nations. Father, as we're gathering here today, again, we know you can change hearts and minds. So we cry out, Father, that you might change the hearts of those leaders who are bringing conflict where it's not necessary. Father, where there are peaceable solutions, where there are political and and negotiated solutions that could happen. Father, we pray that you'll change their hearts and minds. Father, the the whole Ukraine-Russia thing's been on the media and that lots of us have that in our minds. Father, but there are lots of places in the world today Father, even having Anna and Paul here this morning reminds me of the the, the conflicts going on in Yemen. Father, the conflicts going on in Afghanistan. Father, the other parts of the world, the the Islamic world, where there's huge conflicts uh, between groups there. And we pray that you will walk into those places through your people and bring peaceable solutions to those places. And Father, that your message, the gospel, will go forth. We pray for the Arabian Peninsula. We pray for those Islamic countries. We pray for Indonesia. Father, where the church is, and we pray that you will actually make the way for those peoples so they can live lives of, of peace and quietness and get the gospel out there. Father, that, that people will come to faith in those places. And we cry out, Father, we, we ask you out of your mercy that you might do that and pour out your spirit. Father, we thank you for the places of the world like China and Africa, Father, and parts of India. Father, where your gospel is just going crazy and people are coming to faith everywhere. And we thank you for that, but we pray that for other parts of the world as well, particularly where there's conflict, so that your church might be actually able to lift Jesus up and people come to know him. And Father, for those in authority, even those uh, in our local community here, uh, Father, even our local, our national government, our federal government, Father, we pray for them as well, that you will work in their hearts to rule with justice and mercy and compassion. Father, to rule with godliness. Father, we pray that the current government will root out corruption wherever they find it. Father, that you will work in their hearts and their minds to do that. And that they'll work towards actually creating a place, a a country here in Australia that is equitable for all. And Father, we pray for your church here as well. That we will hold on to the true faith. That we won't be swayed by the public opinion that it's, it's not polite to talk about Jesus in public. Father, that we won't be swayed by this contemporary idea that all roads lead to God. That all religions are the same. There is only one God and one mediator. And we thank you that we're here today worshipping him. What a great privilege that is. Help us not to let go of that and to continue to share that with those around us. And we ask for all these things in Jesus' name. May it be so, Father. Amen. Amen.